0: Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Huai Chen Bui, I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in the New York area, and I'm joined
1: by my two co-hosts. I am Anya Crittenton, a writer at KStar star News.
2: And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area.
1: All right, guys, it's another summer in Hollywood, once upon a time in Hollywood, if you will. Uh... Famed director Quentin Tarantino put out his ninth feature film this week, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, starring Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Margot Robbie. His ninth film, if you consider Kill Bill 1 and 2, a single film as it is a single narrative. Um, is that what he,
2: is that he, so is that like official that his, his yeah. rule Of 10 is that this is the ninth because Kill yes. Bill was technically one film, even though people paid for two films?
1: So, it's like it's two films that they saw, but it is one narrative filmed as a single film. So, I'm gonna let him have it, whatever. So, this is his ninth film. Um, we are not going to be talking about that film today because we haven't all seen it. Um, and we have another idea Tarantino has said in the past that he is going to stop his feature film career at 10 films, which, if he sticks to it, means he only has one more film left. And he has talked about doing a variety of things post writing and directing feature films such as doing tv or writing books or writing plays and so we are here today to do kind of a mini episode imagining what a post-film tarantino career is going to look like and so the three of us have each brought one pitch for mr Quentin tarantino who definitely listens to this podcast and will definitely be getting great ideas from it he's an avid listener he is. Comments a, on
2: all all our Twitter replies at Twitter.com. Um, You know, he's really, he's really, really good about being. Yeah. A,
0: a, yeah friend a, a of the pod. Star. QT.
1: Yeah. Very, very engaging that QT. Um, so mostly just for ourselves, mostly for me. I kind of roped my co-host into this episode. Um, we're going to each uh, give our one pitch. And so I will begin. Um, So first, just a little bit of background. Um, I'm a huge Tarantino fan. He is the one problematic straight white male director I have the time and energy for, to both critique and praise. If you're problematic and you're a straight white male director, I don't have time for you. Tarantino takes up too much of my energy. Um, But I, I really love him. His films have shaped me and made an impact on me in ways that I cannot fully put into words. Um, and they have really shaped my love of cinema and the way I approach cinema and think about cinema, both in good and bad ways. Um, so I am a huge Tarantino fan. Um, and so the one thing that I want to see him do is write and direct a play. Friends, have you guys heard of a little old man known as Billy Shakes?
0: Sounds familiar.
1: I
2: think so. William did he do those plays? Wait, did he do that one play about about those people in love?
0: Did he do that one play the, about the Lion King?
2: <laughs> no, I think you're talking did. about the Danish, <laughs> the Danish prince. That was
1: <laughs> so yes, William Shakespeare. Although none of the plays we have mentioned, um, I want to see Tarantino take on Shakespeare, um, and I have oh. a specific play in mind. Ooh, Willoughby, yes.
2: Oh, I thought you just meant, like, you're, like, referencing Shakespeare as in, like, another playwright. You wanted I didn't realize you were going to say adaption. I thought you meant, like, you want him to do, like, an original play.
1: <laughs> oh, no. So I guess definitely not him writing it, but, like, adapting it. And I want him to adapt it for the stage, not for the screen. Um, and so I want him, I have a specific Shakespeare play in mind that I would love to see Tarantino adapt and direct for the stage. Um, and I think, you know, any Shakespeare play would be great for him because Shakespeare is very wordy. Plays are very wordy, and Tarantino is also, as we know, extremely wordy. And the play that I want to see Tarantino direct is Titus Andronicus.
0: Are you guys familiar with
1: this play at all?
0: I know Uh, of it, but I don't, I can't say I know exactly what it entails. Can you refresh our memory, Anya?
1: Yes, I will give you a brief synopsis. Um, So... Titus Andronicus is one of Shakespeare's earliest plays. It is largely considered by scholars to be his first tragedy. Um, When it came out, it was Shakespeare trying to contend with his contemporaries writing very violent, bloody, revenge-type plays, and so Shakespeare wanted to try his hand at that. And so Titus Andronicus is Shakespeare's most violent, bloodiest, like, angriest play. Um, And it was a hit at the time with the audience who wanted all that rabble-rousing. And then for the next couple centuries, Titus Andronicus became one of Shakespeare's most maligned plays. People hated it. Um, It has only recently come back into the zeitgeist as a Shakespeare play people want to revisit and kind of reconsider in the past uh, handful of decades, probably in the 20th century when they started reconsidering it. Why was it so Um, maligned? So it is maligned because it is so violent. It is so gory and angry and then revenge filled and people just they didn't kind of like they looked something like Hamlet which deals with mental health or Romeo and Juliet which is a beautiful love story and you know they see these deep kind of themes in Shakespeare and he has taken on revenge before and like Macbeth and stuff but Titus Andronicus does it in that very like messy disgusting gory way and so people did not really respect that about it for a few centuries um but I happen to really like Titus Andronicus. Um, I love how, how dirty and angry it is. Um, and so it's set during the last days of the Roman Empire and it tells the fictional story of Titus Andronicus who is a general in the Roman army. And he is engaged in this cat and mouse revenge cycle with the queen of the Goths known as Tamora and their revenge cycle with one another getting back on one another and one-upping each other and um it ends up with dealing it brings their families into the fold and their families get involved in the revenge cycle and limbs are cut off many many limbs are cut off in this play um heads are cut off and it ends badly for pretty much everyone um and there is one iconic scene in Caius Andronicus where um, I'm gonna say it because I, I can't really consider Shakespeare spoilers because even if you haven't read the play, it's like sorry, like it's been around for centuries. Um, Titus's daughter Lavinia, one of the most iconic scenes in the play, um, she is taken by some soldiers on Tamora's side, um, and she is violently raped and mutilated. It is not shown on this on the page or on stage, um, but what happens is when she comes back to Titus, her father, to, to like show what has happened to her, her hands have been cut off and she opens her mouth to tell her father what happened to her and blood gushes out of her mouth because they cut out her tongue so she can't say what happened to her. Um, and so there's, also, there's a scene following that up where Lavinia takes a, p- a stick between her teeth and writes down the name of her, of the people who did this to her in the dirt. Um, and so I think you can tell this play is very, like no holds barred.
0: I wonder if Old Boy took some cues from this movie or from this play I, because yeah. uh, it has some similar, just vengeance taking over someone's life and uh, yeah. life and limb being lost over it.
1: Right, and Lavinia is not the only casualty in this kind of cycle of revenge, but she is the most tragic and definitely sort of the most disturbing. Um, and. I think that I think that first off Tarantino would just be great with Shakespeare in general because again the wordiness and the way that he could really like kind of just play off the language that Shakespeare used. Um, He is known as a sort of cartoony violence director and so I think Titus would be the natural fit for him to take on Shakespeare's glorious play. But I also really like the idea of revenge because that is a theme that is present in a lot of Tarantino films. I mean, his my two favorite Tarantino films are Inglourious Bastards and Kill Bill, and they both involve women as the protagonists seeking revenge on people. In the case of Bastards, it's Shoshana on Colonel Hans Landa and the Nazis in general, and in Kill Bill, it's Uma Thurman's Bride. Um, and Kill Bill is also a rape revenge story. The Bride is raped. And she goes to take on Bill and all of his acquaintances for what they have done to her and the life they have taken from her. Um, And so, as much as Tarantino does have some problematic elements, um, I have always really loved his stories kind of of revenge that aren't Django Unchained. Please revisit Django Unchained. It's not as good as you remember. Um, But specifically with female characters, um, it's it is kind of telling that his most memorable characters are his women. And in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it is Sharon Tate, is the most memorable part of that film. And so I just think that the story of Lavinia and of this bloody revenge story, um, I think Tarantino would be great at directing this, specifically for the stage and the kind of creativity he would bring to it, no longer having kind of the magic of cinema at his fingertips, like him taking on a new medium and how he would depict his cartoony violence and stuff on stage when he can't use special effects in the same way you can on film. And so I think that would be a great, great challenge for him. And I think he would totally. So my vote is him directing Titus Andronicus by William Shakespeare for the stage.
0: What do you guys think? That's really intriguing. I, I Yeah, I didn't know the um, the context and like the the graphic detail of that play. I'm really interested in reading it now. I just need to check out. It's
1: actually really good, and it has become more respected. And another quick side note, I'll let you guys talk, I promise. (laughs) Um, The fun thing about Shakespeare is that his plays, since they've been around for so long, and, like, they're so well-known and people adapt them all the time, is that you can take them to different time periods, and you can put different twists on them. And so, like, Shakespeare or er, Tarantino could set it during any time period he really want. It doesn't have to be the Roman Empire. And he could, you know, change the setting and kind of like do new things with it. And mm. I think that's the fun thing about Shakespeare in general is that it, the world is kind of your oyster when it comes to Shakespeare and you can go as far out as you want.
2: Yeah, it's had is that semantics. a Shakespeare
1: line? Is
2: that a is the world is your oyster? Is that something Shakespeare did?
1: I actually don't know. He created so many phrases. Um, like, I was going to say... Yeah, I know yeah. all the world I mean, stages from him. All the world of stage. He Cr- created phrases tr- like "you wear your heart on your sleeve" and like a laughing stock. Like so elbow. many phrases today were created by Shakespeare. So. He named it the elbow. He did. That's wild.
2: That science was like I, we just don't have a thing for it. It's a change like, on our
0: arm. <laughs> and Shakespeare, yeah. like, that's an elbow. You're like, and okay. everyone's
2: like, what does that mean? He's like, I don't know, it looks like a bow tie pasta? What? I don't know.
1: <laughs> so yeah, so from one wordsmith to another, I think Tarantino and Shakespeare would make a great match.
0: That's fascinating. I am down for that idea, and I'm happy that you were able to share it with us finally, Anya. I'm so no, excited. This is something Just that you have, um, that has been like digging at your brain for a long time.
1: Yeah. Um, all right. So HT, that brings us to you. What is your pitch for Tarantino's career post-films?
0: Mine's a little bit different. I want Tarantino to step outside his comfort zone and try something that would almost be kind of a heel turn for him. Um, I want him to take some cues from other auteurs like Wes Anderson, Guillermo del Toro, and try his hand at animation. I'm fascinated to see what he would do in the realm of animation, either like producing a series or, you know, having his hand in uh directing or writing an animated film um even though he doesn't want to direct anymore i think that you know even though he is first and foremost a a dialogue director he has such a visual panache and a distinct visual style that could be really interesting translated into the animated realm and to see him do that would be i think utterly fascinating so we've seen what Wes Anderson has done with Fantastic Mr. Fox, with Isle of Dogs, and he took his very distinct Andersonian style and put that into animation, where I, and. On the other hand, Guillermo del Toro, he's still directing both live action uh, movies, but he has been producing animated series for Netflix like, uh, I think, Troll Hunters, and he's working on other, he was for a long time working on that animated Pinocchio movie that I really wanted to see and never came to fruition, but the concept art for it looked gorgeous. It looked so gorgeous and spindly and disturbing and um i feel like tarantino with his you know cartoonish violence like he was saying wonder i wonder how that would translate to animation and what he would be able to to um to bring to that medium
1: yeah i mean and there is that animated sequence in kill bill yeah that's true so it's not like he's never sort of like touched that medium before do you imagine him doing a, a genre
0: thing in animation well now that you you mentioned the kill bill one i could see him i guess going to anime which uh is netflix is apparently trying to branch out its anime realm with not just japanese animators but americans too so it's like a lot of american anime going around and i I could see tarantino um you know trying his hand at that
1: yeah that would be really fun keeping with his like his dialogue and the violence Mm you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that archness.
1: Yeah, yeah, and movie, TV show, kind of anything. I could
0: see either or. I could see him doing a a TV series for Netflix. That would be really fascinating.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that would be really cool. I agree.
0: All right, Willoughby, what about you? What's your pitch for Tarantino's next project?
2: So you've heard of Hamilton, and you've heard of, 1776, and you've heard of HBO's miniseries John Adams. They all take place the American Revolution. I want a Tarantino adaptation of the Declaration of Independence, like signing, like all the the con constitutional Congress, all that stuff. I want like the his his like panache for dialogue to. Come out of the mouths of Benjamin Franklin and John Hancock and jo- and John Adams and all those all those dudes because I think you know the success of 1776 as like a musical is great and like all those characters are really cool and like John Adams was really cool to you know like but like the thing they all have in common is that they all yell at each other a lot and what Tarantino's really good at is people yelling at each other a lot and I think that I think. Mean, like having the same like like a like an enclosed space like similar to like what he did with Reservoir Dogs and Hateful Eight and have like these dudes just like in a hot hot room in the middle of July debating like independence and all of that I think he could do a really good job at like the adaptation of that historical event and we you know he he doesn't he doesn't shy away from like altering events and like doing his own twist on history so like i think there's a lot that he could like change without changing like the fact that america was founded um like i think like he could do a really good solid job of like doing the tarantino thing but about like america's founding because he always he has this uh you know love of, of like american cinema and like the all the myths that we tell ourselves about america and that i think that he could go back to the beginning and do his own twist on it because he he like in glorious bastards that's a whole like that's a like like we said like his magnum opus but like you know and if and i think that he if he takes that and like and takes like what he did with the hateful 8 and like put a twist on that in, on like the signing of the Declaration of Independence, sort of like 17, like 1776, but without the, the music. I, it wouldn't be like a straight adaptation of that, but it would, just, it would I guess it might be, I don't know. It would still be like the, that event, but just like through Tarantino's uh, uh, words. I think that. I mean,
1: I'm almost, like, I'm almost curious about him doing 1776 because like a musical and there's a really, you've seen 1776, Willoughby? yes so you know the song molasses to rum
2: Uh, not by heart but I've heard of it Yes,
1: it's like it's one of the ones that the conservatives sing Um, like the republican sort of people at the time singing about the slave trade and molasses to rum and how like the north benefits from it and how they like critique slavery but like still benefit from slavery and it's a very dark and disturbing song and Mm -hmm. I can just see like Tarantino like that kind of thing him having fun with yeah. yeah. Tarantino's writing like, a
0: musical would be fascinating because there is a sort of kineticism and energy to his movies already and I wonder I would love to see him do that kind of, just like taking that another step and doing a musical.
2: Yeah. Um I hadn't thought about the actual musical part because like I, I really like Tarantino's dialogue like when yeah. it's like that. So like that's what sort of what I was like my main focus there would be like it would definitely be a play. Um yeah. and so like it would be it would be on stage because I think that, you know, the best plays are always like set in the heat of summer and everyone's sweating and all their emotions are let out because it's also thematically the same thing. So I don't know. I think it would be I think it'd be a neat thing to see on stage. Um, like of course, the American Revolution is very problematic in itself because we were like, hey, uh, should we stop the slavery thing? And they were like, no. And it was like, ooh. So Let's make them three-fifths obviously- of a person. Yeah. So there's like th- all that and their were You know, they were slave-owning white men. There's all that. But Tarantino maybe pushes back on that or something. I don't know. But, you know, uh, I think they could still be a solid, like work of wonder to see him like see these like kind of like these historical figures speaking like tarantino ease tarantino dialogue like i think that'd be kind of neat
1: do you um envision it where like tarantino brings his like trademark like violence and everything to this kind of story or would you want to see him kind of like take that out and just focus on like the dialogue and the high emotions and the high stakes without kind of lending his penchant
2: for violence yes um i've sort of like uh i i sort of don't want him to go back like on that because i think that he relies a little bit too much on violence um and i know it's like his like thing with a capital t but i also sort of want to see him like yeah like step out of his comfort zone and do something a little bit different and maybe just like a straight play with just you know dialogue and like some th- themes and like the action is the words I don't know I th- I think that yeah um I mean he's really good at the violence and you know when we've talked about him before and we'll talk about him again but like I he, you know he's he's not he's good at it but I think I think this, for this one maybe he's he steps away
1: from it I mean, think of the opening scene of *Inglorious Bastards*. That's probably one of the best scenes in that film and one of the tensest and most compelling. And, you know, there's there's a little bit of violence at the end, but it's not his trademark. And it's that conversation that happens under the table that is the best part of that. Yeah.
2: Scene. And like a lot of the Hateful Eight until like the end, get that's when it gets super violent. But like for the most part, it's just a bunch of eight. Pe- it's eight people like having a play. Like if that's his. Besides Reservoir Dogs, it's his most play version of any of his scripts. So yes. like he's definitely like it's definitely something he can do. Um, I think I think if he's like yeah, and they signed it, that, like that would be kind of a neat you know thing to see him just sort of like step away from step away from most of what we know Tarantino from. Just like kind of strip him down. And do, like, dialogue, which I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is also sort of, like, his, like, most stripped down version bit. of himself.
1: Yeah. It's like his Dunkirk.
2: Mm. <laughs> which
0: I don't think Anya has still yet seen, right?
1: I have not seen it. But, like, I will say that I, and I was so against seeing Dunkirk, but it, it's your, your, like, um, uh, opinion of it, your good opinion of it that makes me want to see it. It's the yeah, one you should. Nolan
0: movie that made me cry.
1: It's also
2: the one Nolan movie that I think that you would really appreciate because it doesn't have all the things that you don't like Nolan yeah, about. Yeah,
0: it's literally he that's just, crazy. like, does away with all his dead wife stuff, and he's like, I'm just going to make this movie about loving you, the UK and patriotism. And I'm like, wow, he made me cry at this one moment of patriotism. It was a moment – it was, like, it was incredible, actually. Kenneth Branagh's that face is- just carried the whole oh, scene. Kenneth
1: Branagh. I Wait, think- hold on, that's another. really short. That's another – that's another problematic straight white male director I can actually put up with. <laughs> kind of brought up the other one that I'm allowed to... He's a little bit problematic.
2: Hey, but yeah, Dunkirk is also like extremely short compared to his other films. It's only like Nothing 90 minutes.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's only 90. So I don't think, think it like, could be any longer anyways because it's just like so much rattling.
2: Yeah, definitely definitely check it out if you have like an afternoon yeah. and you're not doing anything.
0: I think you would like it, Anya. <laughs> it's, the
1: one, right. it's the one Nolan I think you would like. Yeah, and so... Um, bringing it back, so Willoughby wants to see Tarantino try his hand at, like, his Dunkirk. If Once Upon a Time didn't quite get there, Willoughby wants to see him actually find his Dunkirk. Strip down yeah. Tarantino.
2: Strip, Strip down, down Tarantino. Just, I mean, just him doing what he, what I think he does best, which is dialogue. So
1: Yeah. So those are our three pitches for Tarantino for his future. We have his trademark violence and dialogue for me, but on the stage. We have yeah, with HT Shakespeare. recommending... Yes, HT recommending him try kind of a new medium entirely, exclusively, not just like a segment like in Kill Bill, and we have Willoughby wanting to see Tarantino kind of strip away all the pretenses and focus on that writing and that dialogue that he is so good at. Um, So we don't know what he'll do in the future, if he will stick to his 10 film limit or Or go
0: into
1: R-rated Star Trek. Right, you never know. Um, no, thank you. I was I'm actually, just going to say that. Yeah, I want to no know what your you. guys'
0: thoughts on this as, like, the major Star Trek fans.
1: Make, no, thank you. Um, I'm actually not um, um, a no to it. I Like, I don't want to see Star Trek get, like, R and violent. But if Tarantino can kind of, like, restrain himself in that area and take on Star Trek, I would actually be very interested. I think it's fascinating that he is a huge fan of Star Trek. And I want to know what he loves so much about Star Trek, because what I love so much about it is its hope and optimism and kind of, like, peace and diplomacy. And I'm curious if that's what he also loves about it and how he would kind of adapt that. So I don't want to see it get into this R-rated violent territory. I don't think it needs to. But if Tarantino were able to step back, restrain himself in that way, kind of strip down, like Willoughby was saying, I would actually be very curious to see his take on Star Trek. And he loves the Chris Pine film, so... He would keep. He'd want to keep that cast, which I think is fantastic. I
0: feel like the cast has been kind of left on the shelf since uh, we aren't probably probably not getting any more Star Trek films.
1: I know it makes me sad. I'm like, please sign up with Tarantino. Like, do a Star Trek film with you guys with Tarantino. Like, I I would pay money for that. I would be down with it. Willby What would you think if it wasn't rated R and if it wasn't super violent?
2: If in that case, I think I'd appreciate it more. I think my hesitance is that star trek in the past has relied on the monsters and the violence for its films and like yeah i know that tarantino like that's the thing is like tarantino also brings like a really good really good stories and really good dialogue as well as his violence but i feel like when i when i heard i think like you know what it however long ago the news broke that he was in development on on like star trek 4 or something i just sort of like immediately was like oh is this gonna be like an you know like an alien type thing where it's like after the crew and the crew is also like that like you know like having to fend for themselves after like a monster like it wouldn't be a horror film it would just be like violent like that was my first thought was like oh it's gonna be we're gonna see captain kirk say fuck and also like there's gonna be blood on his hands and i don't know if i'm there
1: for that i would Um, rather him take on like what you said and have it be like the united federation of planets and like diplomacy and like them having to talk to the romulans or Whoever and like, yeah. Like, if it's more like a diplomatic movie, like there's got to be some action and stuff. But like, if if the best scenes are the ones where they're trying to like resolve disputes and he brings that dialogue to it, like I think that would be cool. It's like give me that give me the United Federation of Planets like political movie, give me a Star Trek like political thriller. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's interesting. Give me that. Alright. I think that's a great way to wrap up our discussion about the future of Tarantino. Tarantino Beyond.
2: Is
0: that an episode title? Might be an episode title. It's also a pun on Star Trek, too. Exactly. (laughs) Alright. And um, so let's move on to the next segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Hey Anya, since this is you know your episode, this is your uh, the Tarantino Anya hour. What is your really like for this week?
1: All right, so my really like is um, it actually it, it sort of ties into Tarantino a little bit, and that my favorite film is, is *Inglorious Bastards*. But I'm really liking and very excited for Taika Waititi's new film *Jojo Rabbit*. The trailer came out for that, and it just looks extremely Taika extremely funny um it is about a boy whose imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler played by Taika Waititi and I think that's kind of all you need to know (laughs) like it's the exact sort of like tone you can expect from Taika Waititi especially if you've seen his films his earlier films that were like set in New Zealand um which are wonderful and it has that sort of like tongue-in-cheek, very dry, satirical um humor. And that scene where Taika appears as Adolf Hitler to the little boy, it's his imaginary friend. I and what I love about it is that it it is not something like yes, we're laughing at it, but I don't think that it's like making Hitler or anything like palatable. It is cutting Hitler down and cutting hate down through humor rather than I think in lesser hands it would be kind of clumsy and just make it more palatable and you're like I don't want to laugh at Hitler like that's not something we should ever do but Taika Waititi at least from the trailer is doing it in a way that is bringing Hitler down with his humor which I think is really fascinating um and someone did that meme of that one movie the Jojo Rabbit
0: Twitter shared
1: it yeah, and I honestly, I had forgotten that. I remember when that meme came out and, like, everyone was sharing it Yeah, as a different thing. It's, like, from a movie, a German film, and in this scene, Hitler's men are, like, telling him a plan and he ends up getting really angry and just yelling. And people used to just put, like, dialogue over it of, like, most ridiculous things for Hitler to get angry about. And in this one, Jojo Rabbit, the Twitter, shared it, and it's him learning about this film and being really angry about it, and it was hysterical Um, So I cannot wait for Jojo Rabbit.
0: All right. Um, I actually haven't seen the trailer yet, but I need to check it out. And um, I'm excited regardless, just because everything Taika does is like A plus. Except for maybe the Acura movie, which I don't really know what to think of that. But anyways, that's on hold indefinitely because of Thor, Love and Thunder. Much better. It's awesome. Um, So, Willoughby, what's your really like for this week?
2: So after I was done watching Lost, which, uh, side note, the ending still holds up. Uh, the series still works. It's uh, nine years later. It's still, it's still, uh, as the kids say, it rips. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, But after I was done with Lost, I was like, well, I need another show to start binging. And Hulu bought the rights to Veronica Mars and produced a fourth season. So I went back to the beginning of Veronica Mars and I've been doing a a rewatch. Uh this is my first rewatch of the show. I watched it in 2013 when I was still in college and I really liked it. ht recommended I watch it after I finished Buffy and it was like the great a, a great like even though technically Angel is a sequel series like Veronica Mars is like a thematically like a very good like Like thing to watch right after buffy
0: the strong female lead air like when you watch something on netflix if you watched buffy on netflix back when it was on and it gave you all the categories of strong female lead shows veronica mars was the first one
2: right and and like and i did that and i watched it and i was like oh this show is so good and so now i'm back because like um yeah, so Hulu has a new season. I haven't watched it yet because uh, I started the I started the um the the new I started the old show, um. So I'm excited to continue watch uh, my binge, Veronica Mars. I think it's so good at being a noir set in high school about like this girl named Veronica who's trying to solve crimes and mysteries, uh, for her father and also for herself. And it's just like so good. And Kristen Bell is like. Like out of the gate, amazing um, as Veronica Mars. Like I don't think that you can say that she's not she's bad in it. She's amazing. It, it was like, her like for first her for being
0: role like, too.
1: Yeah, she's yeah. So
2: good. If, if not like one of you know her breakout, obviously, um, and she's so good. And uh, it's very. I mean, oh, so something I learned when I was uh, just sort of like doing the Wikipedia on Veronica Mars. It premiered the same night as Lost really oh, wow. wow it feels 22nd. like a, out of
0: a different a, generation
2: it does September 22nd 2004 wow. those shows came out on the same night
0: that's so be- like just reeling to hear that's so interesting I did not that is realize crazy.
2: that yeah so that like is so I, when I was like oh the next show I'm gonna watch is Veronica Mars and it was like you you bet
1: it is you're just going through <laughs> the Thursday night lineup <laughs> yeah apparently <laughs> So, Willoughby, you have not watched season four. HD, have you?
0: I've started watching. I'm on season, episode two of season four. Okay. And I like it so far. Right. I know, you, I think you have your problems, Anya, because I saw you on Twitter. You didn't, you weren't oh. fond of it.
1: Um, I was fond of it until the end, and I'm now done with the show. Oh, no. I, yeah. Like, Veronica Mars <sighs> now I, ends, ends at season three for me. Like, I will not watch anymore.
0: Wow. Really? And I have, I, and I have, I have.
1: I have I have. Well, I didn't really like the movie in the first place, so. That's bad. I um, and I have lost a lot of respect for Rob Thomas, um, and I think he is a cheap, lazy writer. And I refuse to watch anymore. Veronica Mars is over at season three. There's no more after
0: no, that. No, I feel bad for enjoying the se- the fourth season now.
1: Oh, I enjoyed it too, and then the end happened.
0: Oh, big
2: yikes! I
0: don't know what ha- I don't I don't know I'm so I don't know what to do like, now I guess I'll finish it it's funny because
1: I think that I'm gonna just like get over it and then every time I think about it it just makes me even angrier like I, I have not been this upset over a piece of media in a long time um a piece of media that is just so disrespectful and lazy and cheap and I am I like I can't it was so good until then and then wow and and I've read an interview with Rob Thomas afterwards and like why the end of this is the way he did and I have I, I have no respect for his decision. So have fun watching it, guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't, yes. I, don't mean, I don't. mean to like do this. It's just that like it really did hit me on a like a very personal level. Mm. Um, and it, your feelings are valid. And it really yeah, yeah, upset me. Um, so, I mean, watch it. I know some people who were less upset by it than I was, so I know that opinions have been varying. Um Most of the
2: reviews that I were seeing before, when the show came out we weren't even talking about how, like, you know, any
1: disappointments.
2: They were saying it was really good. So I wonder
1: if they got just yeah.
0: the first six episodes though. That's, that's what often I wonder what because reviews are.
1: Again, I enjoyed the series until the end. So, like, mm. or the season. So. Huh.
2: Well, that's. Gonna be fun. I'm still gonna watch it because I'm curious. Yeah, I'm now. probably still gonna watch um, it because yeah, I don't want to
1: yeah, spoil no, myself. At the
0: same time, like I don't know if I want to put myself through it, but I think I'm just gonna watch it all the way through.
1: Watch it. Um, I can always tell you privately if you guys want to know, but we'll get, we'll also discuss once you watch it. Um, you
2: no, know, I, I was like, I mean, if it's like something that like we should be warned about, tell tell you know you could tell me. But like if it's like I don't know, like I'm like a trigger warning like, or something. You yeah, like I saw um what was it the movie high life with no warnings as to what was going on in that movie. i
0: think it's still (laughs) funny that you went to see that because i watched it recently and it's like i loved it because it was one of my favorite movies of of uh this year so far um and when i saw it i was like wow this is a very inappropriate movie for willoughby and geet to see together in theaters it's not it's not suited to you guys at all no what was happening that movie we just I like how you hadn't read it at all we, I read about it at all because when I was reading about it all I read about was fuckbox, and I was like oh that sounds fascinating I'm into that and like I feel like as soon as I read about that it's just like anything related to it would not be prime Geet and Willoughby viewing
2: yeah so Mike Mike can never recommend a movie he didn't to recommend us it to you he said he liked it without prefacing what bodily fluids end up in the movie so um, he said he liked it he didn't little, even recommend you know, it to you guys and sexual assault.
0: yeah he didn't because he didn't recommend it to you guys he was just like was raving about it and you're like oh that sounds interesting and then you went to see it and i was like wow that was a very bad decision for, I the, for you i never both.
1: seen it and i have never really even heard of it until you saw it, willoughby and was like oh my god and i I have no I idea thought, what to make of it. I'm not sure I could ever watch it. now. I
0: think you would like it. I thought ya. it
1: would be a nice. I thought it would be an Ex Machina type
2: like dramatic movie in space with black holes and Robert Pattinson doing his like, you know, version of Moon. And it's not. It was not that, and I hated it. And if you know, if it's just, it was not. It was not good. I don't even know what the point of the story was. Like there was a lot there that I just didn't appreciate. And um, definitely think that that movie should have had more warnings when people were discussing the reviews of it. Read
0: about it, Willoughby. All the reviews I read of it were talking about the fuckbox, which is like, you know, not the the
2: problem in that movie.
0: (laughs) It's not the problem of that movie, but also I feel like that's the one indicator of like what kind of movie this will be.
1: All
0: right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's just really funny to me. Like when I was watching it, I'm like wow, I can't believe Willoughby and Geet saw this in theaters. <laughs> yeah, we, did. we sat next
1: to
2: each other. We sat next to each other. We mm. were just like, mm-hmm. we were like, we both were close to just leaving.
0: Yeah, um, I I really liked it though. It's definitely the the kind of fucked up cerebral stuff that I enjoy. Um, I like
2: cerebral stuff. But yeah, I no, just, no,
0: but like fucked up stuff. Too, it's like messed much. up. And I like that a um, lot. I'll, it's kind of optimistic at the end, my my interpretation, anyways. I was like, oh, it kind of is a little bit hopeful, even though it's like staring over the abyss. That's like what the entire movie is. It's staring over and into same. the abyss and um, trying yeah, to decide yeah. whether it's worth diving into it and whether there's something on the other side. And I thought that, that was be, really
2: moving for me. I think maybe I just don't. I, maybe I just don't like nihilism. <laughs> it is life very life, nihilistic. It's like, very bleak. Because like. As you like we talked about with Free Fire like that was a movie I didn't appreciate mm. um, so I don't know I think but there's also a lot of things in that movie that were just uh, rubbing me the wrong way and just not great um, uh, not great Bob is the if review it's just, of that it's, just like, I think
0: it's really funny um, because Mike didn't recommend it to you you just saw him raving about it and you decided to go see it of your own accord
2: I mean Mike was talking about it so we were like okay cool and then, and then we saw it and then it was a big no, no, no. <laughs> so take people's reviews with a grain of salt, I guess.
0: Yeah, just think of their own personal interests first before yeah. you go see a movie. Because <laughs> well, Mike's, Mike's interest. interests it's are very shit. singular. <laughs> yeah,
1: they are.
2: <laughs> right, Otherwise, he's tea. a good person. <laughs> um, <any laughs> really like
0: friend of the pod, Mike Silingel. <laughs> shout out to you. I liked High Life, so I'm on team Mike. Like High Life is great. I, love it. I am
1: on team neither. I need to watch it. Hi, well, you know what, actually? High Just Life don't. reminds
0: me a lot of the end of, of Neon Genesis Evangelion.
1: Interesting. Okay. Okay. Are
2: you talking about end of Evangelion or the, the TV show? Both. Okay.
0: It's like if both combined. It's kind of like the bleakness I mean, I like of the that. movie, but a little bit more of the optimism of the end of the series. If that yeah. makes sense. Oh, it is very we'll similar see. to that.
2: Um, I think it's on Amazon Prime. So. Yeah,
0: it's on Amazon Prime, which is where I watched it. It's very good. I think you would like it, Anya. Uh, don't All watch right. it if you don't care for body, bodily fluids. And um, there is, you know, sexual assault. Um, okay. And so trigger warning for that. And violence.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, both. There's, yeah. yeah.
0: Sexual violence, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> what I really like... Um, If you guys knew, I just came back from Comic-Con. Well, I didn't just come back. I was there last week, and then I had a little beach vacation. That's why I was gone. From this podcast the past couple weeks and i'm back now and it was my first comic-con so i was really excited to go and i had a great time i didn't have any of like the torturous uh line waiting i mean i would had some torturous line waiting or the crowds i actually enjoyed the entire thing and i'm excited to go back and cover it again uh for slash film you can also go to slashfilm.com and read my coverage there um but one of my favorite things that i saw at comic-con other than the marvel panel which was just so much happening at once and like they're throwing all these titles at me and I was screaming and the Hawkeye logo came up and I was very excited. So I might have like started hitting my boss's arm as soon as the logo (laughs) came out and screaming and I was just saying, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then afterwards I was like, please don't fire me because I like assaulted you. Um, But uh, other than that, my favorite thing that I saw at Comic-Con was surprisingly – the Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance. I was bowled over by the first episode which they screened for us at the panel. Um, and The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance is the prequel series to Jim Henson's 1982 film, The Dark Crystal, um, which is a film I watched shortly before I went to Comic-Con to prepare for the panel. And I was kind of ambivalent to the film itself. I respected its ambition and like its amazing it's odd like audaciousness for trying for creating this really rich um really dense world and mythology uh with puppets with no human characters at all and i was like wow that's impressive but it didn't really you know i didn't really connect with it on a personal level and i could didn't really have like the the fervor for it that a lot of like the cult um acclaim has risen up for it in the past couple years but uh i didn't i loved The first episode of the series. Um, The problems that I had with the film in which it was just kind of a little cold, a little distant, the story was little maybe too simple, um, and the mythology too dense, I didn't have any of those problems with the series. I was completely entranced, and you know, I completely forgot that these were puppets I were watching who were making out and having weird sensual moments, but (laughs) it was really good. It's the sprawling series that can probably best be compared to Puppet Game of Thrones, but without all the sexual violence and stuff like that. And it's juggling of tones and characters and this massive ensemble, all of which you're really invested in. Um, Taron Egerton Agerton. Agerton, uh, is one of the characters. He plays um, a... Oh, I forgot the names of their of their species. Uh, gelflings. Gelflings, that's it. Yeah, he plays a gelfling uh, guard who uh, works for the Skeks, Skeksis um, and uh, kind of discovers their devious ways and uh, tries to warn the rest of the clan in which he's in. Um, and meanwhile, other gelflings across the, the world are discovering something called the Darkening, which is uh, starting to plague their their world of thra and it's it's amazing how just um completely swept up i was by this really dense um and uh rich world i highly recommend it it's just it also ga- gave me um miyazaki studio ghibli esque uh vibes as well i had there's similar going on a quest beginnings that i feel i saw in like princess Mononoke, and that um clash between modernism and naturalism which i found really fascinating and which i think the themes were stronger for in this series than were in the movie so if you um if you like game of thrones if you like puppets if you like ghibli all three of them are in here and it sounds like a weird combination but it's really good and god the um the design and the environments are gorgeous. And I, I'm so happy that they went with the, pa- the practical puppetry of the original series because it gives it lends a real tactile feel to the entire thing. And that's coming um, to Netflix this August. So it's coming to Netflix soon. I highly recommend you guys check it out if you can.
1: Yay. Awesome. All right. Well, that is our episode for the week. If you guys have any thoughts on Tarantino or his future as a storyteller, or if you have thoughts on anything that we're really liking this week, including the Jojo Rabbit trailer, revisiting old shows like Veronica Mars, or some of your favorite things out of Comic-Con, like HT. For HT, it was Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, right? Yeah. Age Yes, okay. Um, so if you guys have any thoughts on any of those, please come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby?
2: You can find us on Facebook. We're there. Um, we're also on Twitter, at Falcon Podcast our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com you can rate, review, subscribe and listen to us on iTunes, Google Play and SoundCloud and where can they find you guys on the internet
0: you can find me at htranbui on Twitter
1: you can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter and you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter
0: alright, thanks for joining us guys
1: bye, bye. bye.